Welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm. This is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I am your host, Scott Dr. GX Wolfi. If you enjoy this programming, subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube, which is where Truth and Rhythm lives, and be an advocate by spreading the word among fellow funk, jazz, and R&B music lovers. Join Truth and Rhythm's membership program through Patreon. You can also submit a direct donation to the cause anytime at funkinstuff.net. At that site, you can also purchase the book, Everything's on the One, The First Guide of Funk. Shop for official Truth and Rhythm and Funkin' Stuff merchandise and use the Amazon links for all of your online purchases, which allocates a percentage to this show. For those of you who go the extra step in supporting the show, you have my heartfelt gratitude for allowing us to continue to shine the light on those special artists whose quest is to find truth in rhythm. I am pleased to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm Mothership soul disco and funk singer George McRae, best known for 1974's number one worldwide smash hit, Rock Your Baby. With his first three albums going top 40 in the R&B chart, he also collected hit singles with I Can't Leave You Alone, I Get Lifted, and Honey Eye. During that time, he also collaborated with, managed, and married vocalist Gwen McRae, and other notables he has worked with include Betty Wright, Michael Jackson, the Jackson Five, James Brown, Casey and the Sunshine Band, Sheik's Now Rogers and Bernard Edwards, and Rolling Stone Bill Wyman. McRae's most recent album dropped in 2016 and was simply titled Love. George, thank you for joining me. How are you? Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, glad to have glad you. To all the way from, you. Yeah. I'm all doing from, pretty well. Good, 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 good. All the way from the Netherlands, right? Oh yes, right at the moment. Yes, I travel uh, about three three places actually: the Netherlands, Aruba, and uh, the States. Yeah, so um, great to have you. Um, you know, and and so glad that uh, we could connect like this across the Atlantic. And uh, you know, um, let's jump right in, George. And um, I wanted to ask you. Um, you know, you grew up in uh, Palm Beach, Florida, from what I understand. That's correct. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and that's, of course, uh, the cradle of the Miami sound and, and the whole TKA situation. And what uh, drew you to singing and, and entertaining in the first place? Well, I started since I, I was born singing, I guess, since I started in church, like most of the people in the southern part of America. And, uh, yeah. And in church at first, and from church, I went to high school and junior high school and uh, school glee club. And uh, also, uh, I performed also with my little group, the Jiving Jets, back in high school. And uh, that's where I got serious about it. And that's where we first, we first made our first little money then, singing in the group with the Jiving Jets locally. 
we was that good. We made our first money dance, so we became professionals. I remember that so well. And that in that day, we we only made seven bucks, <laughs> and we went to Burger King and bought a <laughs> and split it among us. Then with Burger King, and at that time, Burger was very very reasonably cheap then. Not compared to what the cost now to buy, but then it was twenty five cent a burger. So, wonderful days, wonderful days. Yeah, yeah. Um, who who were some of your uh, biggest influences or favorite artists back at that time? Oh, my favorite influence artist was Sam Cooke. That second one was uh, Smokey Robinson. During that period. He was my uh, mentor and idol. I just sang all of his songs, and I grew up. His voice was unbelievable at the time. Still is, actually. And yeah, I learned I learned from here. And uh, actually, when I recorded Rock Your Baby, uh, I had him and Spooker Robinson in mind as I was singing it. Yeah, I as inspiration. I, I could see that, yeah, with that that tone and uh, sort of a falsetto. Um, did, who did you first see perform when you were young uh, that uh, just really inspired you? Who did I first see when I was young? I saw an uh, artist in high school. His name was Ted Taylor. And he had a song called uh, Be Ever Wonderful. And he was out of high school, and we saw him. I saw him perform at my high school then. He had that high falsetto type voice too. Be ever wonderful, stay as you are. Yeah, that was one of my first one artists that I saw personally. R&B soul artist then, but also uh, Johnny Taylor. Um. Um, Tyrone Davis. These are some of my influences too, you know, under influences as you got older and you saw these artists uh, singing. You know, one uh, artist that you didn't mention that I figured was an influence on you, you can say yes or no, was Marvin Gaye. Oh, yeah, but Marvin Gaye was a, was a time in the 70s in the, uh, in the, uh, the late um, 60s, 65, 66, Marvin then. But uh, as I was growing up as a teenager, Marvin just wasn't known then. But later on when he came came about, yes, that's in the 60s. But in the 50s and the 40s and the 50s when I was growing up, those were the artists that I was listening to then. Also, uh, another artist was, um, what was his name? Uh, Lou Willie John. Hmm. Was that more doo up or soul, or what was that? That's R and B. R and B soul at the time. Mm -hmm. Just growing up in the South, so you hear all these. Uh, most of all the artists then was uh, coming out of Mississippi and Alabama and Memphis. This was at the time, yeah, in the in the. Uh, Late fifties and these early sixties. 
And you had some uh, singles and experiences uh, before signing uh, Alston Records and and that kind of situation. Uh, can you tell us how that came to be? Oh, that came about uh, after um, we signed our first contract with uh, Austin Productions out of Miami. And this is where I uh, started my real career then uh, as a recording artist. And some of my first songs was Back Do's, uh, Please Help Me Find My Baby, and um, oh, a few more, though. But they wasn't uh, big hits at all. So this is my, I call it my trying period. I'm just learning how to record then. Please help me find my baby out there. It was released and uh, got a little airplay, but didn't make it in the charts that well. But uh, I, I, you know, I stuck with it. And, uh, you know, that was the time then. This is my learning experience time. And uh, when, we, uh, when I first went to... Um, to uh, the uh, recording company, signed my first contract there. Uh, they spelled my name wrong. My real name was with the Y at the end, M C C R A Y. But the contract was uh, this, when I saw the contract it was M C C R A E. So uh, I didn't want to argue with them because uh, if I. <laughs> If I didn't change, if I'd have said no, you got to change it to the Y, I might not have gotten the contract. <laughs> so I kept it with kept it with the E. So I'm just going now with the E on the end of it now. But uh, my passport is it's the Y. So you inadvertently got sort of a stage name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Correct. Well, well in a way. Go ahead. Go ahead. What, what were some of the uh, studio and performing lessons that you kind of learned before you, uh, you know, got signed with uh, uh, Harry Stone in that situation? Actually, I had no um, learning experience. The only experience I learned was I was uh, singing uh, locally and, um, and with the uh, top, top 40 type band doing club dates, sing, singing cover songs. And uh, we was working... Uh, I was married to Gwen McCray then, and we was working all these uh, all these R&B clubs throughout uh, Palm Beach County, Fort Lauderdale, Palm Beach County, Broward County, and Dade County, called the Titlin Circuit. It was very, very popular then in the southern part of uh, Florida. And this is where um, we met Willie Clark and uh, Betty Wright, because uh, 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 a DJ by the name of Joe Fisher with WRBD radio station, I think was the name of uh, WRBD radio station. He was the um, director there, and um, they was promoting uh, Better Right at the time in a club in Revere Beach called the Ebony Club. And they asked us to, uh, me, me and Gwen, to be the, her opening act. So uh, we performed there in open act, and uh, Willie Clark, her manager, saw us, and producer saw us, and he came to me and said, um, you guys are great. Uh, I think we can do something with you. Uh, you should give us a call because I think we and we're looking for new artists, and I think you would fit out a bill and you know for singing. Let me record you guys. So uh, he gave me the telephone number, and I didn't call him until uh, a year later because I didn't think we was ready for that yet. So after that year later, we um, 
before that year, after we performed for Betty Wright and and uh, opened her show, um, I got an idea of going down to uh, Clematis. There's a club called the Candy Bar, and it was basically uh, a white club. And at that time, the uh, it, was, it was West Palm Beach on Clematis, and uh, they had the uh, people from Palm Beach used to come over, like the Kennedys and all of those type of people used to come over. And there was a um, actually um, lawyers and business people used to hang out there and they are at the candy bar. So I went down there and um, met the owner and asked him, um, Could we, would you mind if he sang a couple of songs there? Because they had a great band called the Apollo Memphis was playing there. Four white boys playing. And they was, oh, was only playing R&B, soul music, and, uh, and pop music, too. And I said, do you know the song, Knock on Wood? I said, sure. So we uh, asked Irvin, could we get up there and do a couple of songs? I said, yeah, sure. So Irvin allowed us to uh, do this, and uh, we did Knock on Wood and turned the place out. They couldn't say, whoa. Then uh, then asked him, can you do another song? Also, they also then we did our Sam and Dave song, When Something Wrong With My Baby. And actually, turned it out. So next thing we were sitting at the table, then all of a sudden, Irvin came over and bought us a bottle of champagne. Champagne, what's wow, what? Oh, and uh, he said, Uh, I'm gonna give him my telephone number, and um, um, he asked for my telephone number, so I give him my telephone number. I don't know why, so okay, gave him a telephone number, and a week later, he gave us a phone call and asked us, Would we like to perform in this club along with the band? So I said, Oh, wow. What a break. Okay, we'll do that. And um and that was our first big study gig that we did. Uh and we, we performed it for like six months in this club. It was a beautiful time then, uh, because and at the time we was only getting you know, uh I think it was six hundred a week. But if we was young then and that was to me it was good money. Wow. And then on top of that, he wanted me to, uh, he needed someone to clean the club up. So I said, when I do that, and the reason why I said it, because I had a job already as a, I've been a maintenance man, working as a window washer and uh, working in, in the hotels, uh, as the doorman, as in housekeeping, and uh, as a cleaner in hotels, you know, mopping, cleaning, so I was doing, I knew all that, do, do all of that anyway. So I said, Irvin, I do it. I clean the club every day. So I would clean the club every day and performing at night. They went over like six months. We rehearsed. I don't know how we did it, but it was fun then. We were just having a wonderful time then. And what happened was, was so that around that, uh, George, was that around like 1972 or? It's around 1970. Around sixty nine seventy. Sixty nine seventy something. Uh seventy four. No, round uh time I count. Sixty nine. That round nineteen sixty nine. Sixty nine to seventy. That was the time. And I, I enjoyed doing it because when I was cleaning the club, every day I used to find 
all kinds of things on the floor. Loose cash, wallets, you know, uh, uh, diamond rings and all this. And so I just find it and uh, turn it into a ribbon because it's a very kind of, kind of club that you really, when you do something there, you find something, you have to turn it in. I found a club with, you know, with big money in, in, in the wallets. But, you know, turn it in, found it. So even who it was, when, uh, but that was good. But all the loose change I found on the floor, it was beautiful. On top of your 600 right there. <laughs> you better believe it. It was wonderful. It was a wonderful time there. That's one of the, one of the best times of my life performing for that club. Yeah. About how old were you? Would you say? Yeah, I was uh, at the time. I was uh, twenty eight. Hmm. Well, twenty well, years old then. Yeah. Well, didn't Harry Casey also start kind of cleaning around TK Records before he, you know, made it happen there? Oh too? yeah. Oh yeah. They started doing that too when they came. At the time, I I, I was already uh, signed to TK Records. When they came, and because uh, when I recorded Record Baby, I was thirty years old, and Harry Wayne Casey, yeah, I think Casey Casey was twenty one, and Rick was seventeen. So the big age difference. But they, I heard their music. So uh, whoa, they say they, what happened? How that happened was, I went, I came to um. Uh, to listen to an album that my wife had recorded because I had stopped singing for a while and she was doing all the recording, making records. Gwen McCray. How did you and meet so, Gwen? How, how did you meet Gwen, George? Oh, I met Gwen when I was in the uh, U.S. Navy. When I first got out of high school, when I first got out of high school in uh, 1963, 62, I graduated in 62. In January 63, I uh, joined the United States Navy. And uh, I've spent uh, four years of active and uh, two years inactive. I got out in 1967. And uh, while I was in the Navy, I was singing then also overseas. I was performing in clubs over there with the bands. And in the uh, Philippines, Japan, they called me Song Boy Song. Come sing, Song Boy Song. You got to come sing, come sing, come sing. And then here at the bands, I had to walk up to a band and ask them, can you, can you play this song? I don't know. No, no English. No English. No speak English. No speak English. And so I was hum the song to them. Go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Universal when they language. played, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And when they played, they sound just like the record. You could walk down the street and you hear a band, and he said. It's impossible. How can it be? You thought there was the original people singing the song from the States. And one band goes, Through the jungle, the quiet jungle, the lions leap tonight. I'm going, shoot, what the? And I peeped in there just... <laughs> and so, when they finished singing, I walked over to them. I said, yeah, do, 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 can you uh, guys play, um, you know, Summertime? No, no speak English, no speak English, no speak English. Oh, summertime. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I was saying, got up there, no rehearsal. We start playing summertime. Turn the place out. 
Unbelievable. And and after that, every time I go to the club, sound bossa, sound bossa, same, kept saying. <laughs> so wonderful time. This went up in the Navy. I was stationed in uh, Japan and the Philippines then. It was during the Vietnam War. So it was a uh, good time and a bad time for me. Yeah. Well, they could replicate the music very well, but usually the vocals wouldn't sound quite right. So you would come in, I'm sure, and just. Oh, but these guys had. Yeah, but these guys had. I mean, they had the vocals right. I'm telling you. It's, mm -hmm. it's, you won't believe me. They sound just like the artists. Don't let. Yeah, yeah. This, some bands just, can do that. that. Back then, that was just from the records. There was no YouTube and that kind of thing. Like, now, no, just from the records. Yeah. 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 That's from the records. And then when I got out of the Navy, um, I performed my, my, I was saying with a group called the Driving Jets in high school. And uh, we um, got back together and we only lasted a year because they was all married, having other problems. And so um, I took Gwen and we uh, went duo and joined the Gwen McCray. And that's where we started the Candy Bar. And from that on, uh, from then on, we uh, had went to a club in uh, Fort Lauderdale called Leonard's Nightclub. And that was the same band that played with us at the Candy Bar, the Apollo Men. They love Irvin, and uh, because uh, I guess Irvin, Irvin uh, they want to pay them any more money or whatever. So they left and went, had another gig somewhere. So they left and they left without us. And so, uh, I told Dave, would you take us with take us with you too? Cause we're a good combination working together. But no, he went there, and uh, a week later, we get a phone call asking me to come down to audition with them, audition at that club. So I blast them. So we went, and uh, we had a wonderful time uh, rehearsing there with them. And that opening night, we opened and the guy heard us together and we got hired. And we worked that club for about six months. And while I was in Fort Lauderdale, between Fort Lauderdale and Miami, I gave them uh, the telephone call to Willie Clark. And uh, he sent a man down to us with Brad Shapiro. He came and saw us and said, you guys come down through the studio tomorrow and signed the contract. And that's when we uh, went down there that same, the next day and met the people there and we signed the first contract with Hinder Stone, what, EK what, Records. What, what was your uh, impression of him? Oh, Henry? Oh, he was, he was, a, oh, he was a friendly man, you know, he was quiet. He knew us, he lived, he know he's, had to be and you do this all the time and how you doing? Oh, you gotta make some good music. Oh, okay. Not a problem. We just happy to you know and we're happy to sign the contract because I had I had no idea about contracts then. And I had I had had no money to record myself. And actually he believed in us and often production believed in us. And um, 
And that's where we met uh, Steve Alamo. He had a great part in that too. Steve Alamo. Steve Alamo. He, he was uh, uh, pretty famous back in the 60s on uh, where the action is or something like on television there. He uh, also uh, recorded a song, uh, uh, Halfway to Paradise. I want to be your lover, but your friend is all I've stayed. You lead me halfway to paradise, so near yet so far away. It was one of his at the time, Steve Alamo. He was on uh, Red Action News television show, and he became our first producer at uh, Austin Productions, and then Brad Shapiro became my producer, and then uh, Willie Clark and Clarence Reed was, we all worked on as a group. It was something like a Motown thing. It was all family. We just sang on background, Better Write Records, and Better Write Background singing on our records, you know, and we did together background singing together, harmony arrangements, and for different artists. So uh, we, we, that's how I learned my craft in recording then. And then uh, Clarence Reed wrote my uh, first song. It's called Back Dues. I, uh, I give him my Back Dues. And uh, that was, uh, I think I'm the only one who bought a copy <laughs> at the time. <laughs> And and I don't forget that. And I, but I never get, gave up on nothing. And um, at the time, then my ex-wife she um, started calling me so, solo, to become a solo act. So I just fell back and I let them uh, let her go do her thing. And so I I began to manage her and uh, taking care of her and doing background vocals on her songs and arranging the songs and along with Steve Alamo. And for a good little while. And then, um, and then, uh, and then in 1974, um, Case and Finch was there. And uh, before then, uh, Case and Finch, they had uh, recorded a song called uh, a Queen of Clubs. And that was 1973. Uh, and that's uh, better, right? Myself and and, and, uh, and my ex-wife singing the uh, doing the background. She's the queen of clubs, and that was me doing all that high on it, doing all the high, high notes and everything on it. That living, and uh, that song became uh, pretty well known over in Europe. Hit the charts in Europe, queen of clubs, and, and so. Uh, and, and uh, they would call themselves then, I think, Case and Junk and New Band before they changed to Case and Sunshine Band. And then after, and so when they did that, um, next album uh, they were working on for themselves, and they had cut this track, uh, and it was too high for Casey to sing, sing it. And so, uh, and my ex wife had uh, just did an album in Memphis for TK Records and he came back to give a listen to it. And while we was down to listen to her album or thing, and uh Rick came in and said, George, we have a song. I think uh you 
good for your voice because you get that high voice. And uh, she can't sing it. And we had you in mind because so we want to produce you on it. So I say, okay, matter of fact. So I um, had to get permission from Steve Alamo at the time because he was the executive producer. So I went to Steve. Steve, Casey, uh, and Rick at the song. And uh, you, owe me, you owe me a lot of favors now because I've been doing a lot of things for you. He said, well, he said okay, do it. Do, 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 do the song with Casey, okay. So I got permission, so I took the song home, listened to the track, and I asked my mother, and how uh, how you like a man to sing to you? And I asked my sisters, I asked my sister's girlfriends. So I all got that woman in, input. How you like the man? So I thought, oh, okay, oh, oh. And then when they said that, bingo, I thought about Sam Cooke, my mentor, and I thought about Smokey Robinson. And the reason why Sam Cooke, I love Sam so much too, because I was his idol, and Sam Cooke came to uh, Palm Beach uh, to perform at the, um, what was the name of the club then? Uh, Sunset, the Sunset Lounge in West Palm Beach. And I couldn't go in because I was too young. I was 16 years old then. And so uh, he drove up in a uh, blue and white Thunderbird convertible. I was amazed. Uh, and he got out of the car. He was walking in. And the people standing around. You know, so he was shaking hands. I took my hand out. And he shook my hand. Like, real tight. He just shook my hand. And when he did that, I could, something I'll never forget. Never forget. Sample shook my hand. I ran home and told mother, mother, I'm a sound cook. He shook my hand. He shook my hand. She said, oh, really? Yeah, he shook my hand. And that's something I would never forget. And until this day now, all my fans that I meet, when I want to sign autographs and all that, they want to shake my, I shake their hand. Because yeah. I know what that means when you do that, you know, it's something they'll never forget. And he taught me that indirectly. Yeah. And so um, when I uh, ha I had Sam Cook in mind, then they had uh, also Smokey Robinson. Mm -hmm. And then I went in the studio and I just thought about the feel, the emotion. I just started singing my way, you know, my style, but I kept them in inspiration. And I sang, you know, rock your baby. But at the end of the song, it just came spontaneously while I was singing the song. When I was a kid, I used to play Tarzan. John Weiss melody. <laughs> I would try, you know, <laughs> that that yeah, yeah, oh. <laughs> yeah, like Carol Burnett used to do too. I yeah, know. yeah. <laughs> and so I was, I so I went out there, you know, well, I got the other song. I went, ah, oh, take me in arms and rock me, ah, oh, take me in arms, ah.
And that and that last uh, I, I held, I, I I've kept doing you know separate. Uh huh. And and Rick said, George, I'm gonna wind the tape back. And um, that last uh -huh, I want you to hold it as long as you can. I said, no problem. He came around the back. I went, oh. Yeah, we got it, we got it, we got it. It was fun. It was fun. It's a fun time, though, you know? With, with young kids working with them and we enjoying music. And yeah, I did my first three albums. My, my, no, my uh, first two albums first. And then in 1979, I did one more album with them. And every one of their albums I've done with Caraway and Case and Rick Finch. All the songs I'm saying on them are all one take. Hmm. Everything, all my albums I've done with them was all one take. Never was uh, telling me, uh, so I'll go back and sing it again. Let's do this quickly. We get we come in the studio, you get up there, you do your thing, you feel it, you're in the mood, you just, just go with it, go with the flow, the feel, the tracks, the music, and that's how I record. When, when, when did you realize, uh, that that was going to be such a big hit? You know, how did it hit you like that? Oh, it hit me when. Oh, how can I say it? It hit me when my newspaper, um, hometown newspaper, Palm Beach Post, wanted to give me an interview. And I an interview about what? My song being played on radio and everything. Oh, yeah, just a, oh, we want to give you an interview about what? About Rocky Baby. I don't know. Poppy's supposed to ever give me an interview. Oh, okay. Uh, and thing about it hit me because Poppy's Post was the a newspaper. I used to deliver their newspaper. I used to be a paper boy for the Palm Beach Post Times. So I had my route <laughs> when I was a teenager delivering newspapers for the Palm Beach Post Times. I'm going to hear they want to give me an interview. I'm going like, what? So, and, and next, following behind it was the Miami Herald. Miami Herald. And then another thing gave me a big signal too that I, I had a problem. Uh, it wasn't a problem with. I had a phone. Got a phone call from my my ex wife's cousin, Marvin. See, he's calling from Detroit. George, your song is it's being played like hell up here. They playing the hell out of your song up here on the radio station. I'm going like, what really? This song is burning up, man. That song is so hot. I'm going like, what? You know, from Detroit. I'm, they haven't caught me yet, you know. And then Henry Stone called me down to the office. The big boss. Got someone I'm going to tell you. You got, a, you got a big hit song here. Whoa. I was caught off guard. Like, what I'm going to do now with a big hit song? What I'm going to do? I don't know what, I don't know local West Palm Beach. So uh, he said, uh, James Brown want to take you out on tour. 
Uh, who? James Brown want to take you out on tour. Whoa. I'm I was so unprepared. I was so nervous. Oh, my God. James Brown. James Brown at the time was, uh, he was the man then, you know, the godfather of soul, you know. And 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 he was the uh, the Chitlin Circuit King. At the James Brown. James, you going you out with James. You are you big time now, you know. So uh I took myself and my my ex wife Gwen we go out too, you know, because she had all the records too. I said it'd be nice, we go out, you go out, we go with James on tour. You got your you were saying your a couple of your songs that you had R and B hits. It'd be, be all right. So I'm so we went out on tour with James. And then after I got on tour with James, then I get a call and saying, uh, we want you uh, to go out with the Jacksons. The Jacks, the Jacksons, Midwest tour. West, whoa, mid, a Midwest tour, the Jackson Fives, you know? And that was, that, and that was because of uh, all the pop stations had picked it up. First, it was on R all the R&B stations. And then all of a sudden, all the pop stations were playing it. You know your song, you know, you know, it's in the charts in the pop station all over all, where, New York City, Chicago, L.A., and Houston. Oh, what? what? Atlanta. Oh, pop, it's on the pop station. And then my local station, West Palm Beach pop station, started playing it. I said, oh my God, I got a big hit like it. Then it's, then then after that, I oh you have to go um on American Bandstand. Dick Clark? Whoa. You gotta go on Soul Train. <laughs> and there's another one called um Cindy. I think with Shindig, yeah. Was. So I'm doing all this TV, television now, and I think also I was one of the first to do one of our first in Chicago. And when Oprah was in Chicago, I was on her show also in Chicago, Oprah, Oprah Renfrey. But I had no idea who she was at the time. And how big she became later on, but you know what? That time, you know, oh, it's open, oh, I, so it's unbelievable. Now wow. here I am. Now I'm doing all. I want so I'm busy on traveling, and making an album, the following album out uh, after Rocket Baby. Uh, can't leave it alone. It's been so long. So I did a whole album in a week's time. Basically, cut the track. We did it, and, and so all of next thing I knew. They're telling me you have to go to uh, Amsterdam. Amsterdam? You have to go to Holland. Holland for what? Your song is number one in Europe. Say, what? It's number one in Europe. Next thing I knew, I'm over in Amsterdam, so I did my first video. video in Netherlands with Rock Your Baby. And and from that time on, 
and uh, I, I did that, and the next thing I knew, I was in England, performing in England. And that's where I met uh, Mick Jaggers in a club in England. And I told Mick, I, really, I just did a song with your, uh, with your uh, bass player, Bill Wyman. The background vocals on it. He said, oh, yeah, I heard about that. I said, how you heard about it? Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. He said, I'm happy for him. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he was right next to me. We were sitting there talking. Well, I cannot believe that. And then I'm in a, I'm in a hotel in, in England, and uh, and next to me was uh, uh, someone left a package in my room. So I checked in the room. This package was there. I saw it, and it had a uh, Ringo Starr picture, uh, 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 name on it. Ringo Starr. There were some tapes, albums, some tapes, and everything that was Ringo Starr. I go on a shoot. So I called reception and uh Ring of Star came to the door, my door and picked it up. Hey, how you doing, Ray? How you doing? Gave it to him. Okay. It was just like that. And so okay. And I thought about it. I said, damn, I should have kept those safes. <laughs> I should I should have kept them. How valuable how valuable it would be now, you know? <laughs> oh that no. I'm not like that. I gave it to them. I gave it to them back. Mm -hmm. It was nice though just to see him. Yeah. Wow. So I have a lot had a lot of experience in my whole my whole my whole career, but my music career was always uh, started PK production with Henry Stone, and God bless his soul. They all say that oh Henry's the crook, you know. <laughs> but I said what? What? Uh, record company is not crooks. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's, that's what, yeah, especially in the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you remember, was you first hearing yourself on, on the radio? Was it Rock Your Baby, or did you hear something on the radio before that? Well, of myself? Yeah. No, I heard Rock Your Baby. So that was the first time you heard yourself on the radio? Yeah, my first I heard myself on, no, no, I take it back, on WRBD in Fort Lauderdale. I heard, um, um, uh, what's the name of the song? Uh, one of these days, uh, some duo song with, with Gwen McCray and myself. Back dudes. Oh yeah, please help me find my baby. They played it locally uh, at the time, and yeah, that's right. When I heard my old my old songs first, because you know that's usually something that an artist never yeah, locally, forgets. Though, don't, they, yeah, yeah, locally, yeah, locally. They play them on the radio. Play them on the radio. Play them on the radio. And then mostly they play a lot of uh, 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 me, uh, me and Gwen's song because of the duo act at the time too. And they played us, played us a lot as a duo together on the radio. My first solo song was like uh, "Please Help Me Find My Baby" and uh, "Back Dudes." And all the duo song we did one one of the days, Grant our first song we recorded that was one of the days we did the duo. And uh no one left to come home to as a duo. Yeah, I had a I had a good um interesting uh learning period. Singing on all the other acts, uh, recording their vocals, doing background vocals on a lot of uh, 
I like Lil Beaver, Freyanda doing background vocals on, on his album, and Timmy Thomas, um, and Benny Lattimore. Let's string it out. That's me, Betty Wright, and Gwen on that. And oh, a few more. You know, I had uh, I had Jimmy Bohorn on the show not long ago. Do you remember him? Oh, Bohorn, he's from my hometown. We went to the same school. We went to the okay. father taught me woodworking in the high school. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, Doc. Yeah, he was he was my man. His father. I loved him to death. He also yeah. he also uh, had some great James Brown stories too from back in that time period. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, but James though, you know, everyone, you know, everyone remember James. Everyone, uh, hey, Mister Brown, you know, hey, Mister Brown, hey, Mister Brown. I was calling him James. <laughs> hey James, hey George, how you doing? Hey James, where you going to go? Yeah, <laughs> that's how we we had. You know, we you know we we didn't have a uh, Mr. Brown, you know, oh, yeah. We had a mutual respect for each other. I had big respect for him because he was, he was the man then. There's much more to this great Truth and Rhythm interview. Just continue on to the next part of the episode. Also, be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. And become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you very much.